0: Hi, Gus Walland here, and welcome to Not An Overnight Success, brought to you by Shawn Partners Financial Services. In this podcast, we sit down with some very successful people in the world of business, entertainment and sport to chat about their life's journey and how they became the success that they are today. In today's episode, we are chatting to Carl Stefanovic. Carl is one of the most well-known journalists and television presenters in the country. And while it's likely that you've heard his voice many times, Today's interview will most likely show you a side of Carl that you haven't seen before. Carl is never going to be a person that didn't do stuff. He's always been driven and willing to jump in the deep end. He's certainly not lost his larrikin, cricket loving Queenslander attitude, but he has learnt to delve into the deeper parts of emotional connection. In our chat, we speak about Carl's career and whether there were any paths that he considered going down, his experience both positive and negative in the public eye and the upheaval of course and the fallout from the Today Show and how much pressure that put him under as well as his return. Carl has spent his life following his mum's advice of work hard, play hard and has certainly found the balance of when it's time to work and when it's time to play. Carl is uniquely driven and compassionate. We sat down together at the end of last year and I felt lucky to be the person that Carl wanted to share his stories with. As for all these podcasts, Shaw & Partners Financial Services have generously donated $10,000 to the charity of the choice of each of our guests. we discuss who that money goes to in the chat. The executive producer of this podcast is Keisha Pettit. We couldn't have done it without our great mate, Kelly Stubbs. Let's get into our chat with Carl Stefanovic. So big fella, what yeah. were you like as a kid?
1: I think conscientious. I worked hard. I applied myself at sport and multiple sports. That was my biggest thing growing up was to be good at everything that I possibly played. Growing up on the outskirts of, of Brizzy in a place called Capalaba, that's all we had was sport. We'd literally go from five in the morning until five at night and come over for dinner and, and we'd be golfing, cricketing, playing soccer, rugby league, absolutely everything. I worked reasonably hard at school but i was just sort of naturally okay at it so i didn't do anything more than i had to
0: (laughs) as my son now tells me please get degrees dad
1: yeah yeah, exactly so for me it was a priority because you know my dad came from germany after the war he instilled in us a pretty strong work ethic across even sports it's that typical wog thing you know if you do something you do it well and work hard, work hard, work hard. He didn't have a, a wog accent. I just sort of <laughs> threw that in there.
0: It's not dear. That's what after I imagine he would
1: sound like if he was born in Italy. But he was born in Germany and he okay. <laughs> came out to Australia when he was two. Right. But it was that kind of thing. You know, you worked hard. My grandfather came out here after the Second World War, built his own house in Balambi and Wollongong, worked for BHP, and then Dad kind of grew up with that whole thing. And then Dad... Actually went and played soccer for West Ham United when he was 18, 19. bubbles. So, yeah. So the sports side of things came from him. And other than that, I've always been a great lover of people. And that started when I was a kid. I remember in year one, I, I tried to impress the year one teacher um, because I thought she was really good looking. But even in year one, I remember getting a kiss off her, and no one else could get a kiss off her. And um, I genuinely think that was part of you know, ingrained in my personality this desire to to win people over yeah, yeah. Uh, from an early age. And you know, as you get older, you realise that's virtually impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's something that's been inside me for for as long as I can remember.
0: In saying that, though, you've won many more over than you haven't in your life
1: do you know what you get to the age though Gus where you just go you know you can't the moment you stop trying to win you know masses of people over I mean it's just too taxing mm. and it affects your own personality and your own mental health in a way that I don't think's healthy so I think you've got to pair it back to being yourself and you've got to work hard at the things you can control and and not so much at the others I mean because if you spend time wasting time thinking about the things that you could do that you can't control, then it's like a big cavernous hole uh, that you're not going to be able to climb out of. And, you know, I'm all about lighter and brighter and being connected now where I can be. Yeah. You know? And that just comes with maturity. I think so. And experience, uh, which is the same thing, I guess. It's hard, though, not to want to be loved by everyone. Yeah. For me, it's the personal relationships with kids and with friends, deep friendships and Going through some really, you know, kind of heavy times. At the end of the day, sometimes it just being you, falling to sleep with your own company, at the end of the day is, is pretty lonely, but you have to, you just have to realize that, you know, you're not going to have someone around you for all the time um, mm-hmm. to pick up the pieces. And I think the moment I realized that, that I had to start going about rebuilding things and stop blaming everyone and, and start really focusing on what I did wrong or how I can improve. It was the biggest change point in my life. Okay. So there's no longer any blaming. What did I do? How did I control that situation or not control that situation? And what can I do about it now? Deep emotional turmoil is awful and it's like swimming in a deep ocean that you can't think you can never get out of. And there's little bits and pieces that float along and you think I'm gonna hold on to that and keep you know, keep myself alive. But then unless you're addressing some of the some of the core thing that you as a person are responsible for and can control, then I think you can only tread water for so long. Yeah. And it's going it's to manifest itself in a, in, a, in a much deeper way that you're going to have even more difficulties getting out of. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So for me, it's like the little warning signs now. As I go along, it's like this is happening, that's happening. Oh, you know what? I'm getting really busy now, right? So I know at the end of this long year of COVID, People have been through a lot. and I've had a really, you know, reasonable year where I've just punched into work and dealt with all this stuff at work. But, you know, I'm really tired, right? And so I've just got to go, I've just got to get through. I've just yeah. got to get through. So I limit the amount of things that I do outside of work to things that I really want to get right and things that I, I think are the most important for my well-being and for my family's well-being. So that's one of the things I learned along the way. Before, I just like, I'm, you know what, I'm just going to toast myself. You know? <laughs> I'm going to be everywhere, man. <laughs> you know, things are going so well. And then in the end, you, something happens and you go, what the fuck just happened? I, I, was, I was the king of the world and then the, literally the next day, you know, because I thought my shit didn't stink. It's like, you know, after that 2011 Logie, I remember getting up there going, mate, pretty sure you're the fucking king. You know, pretty sure, like Bert Newton, I'm coming at you. Yeah, it's like it's not a something you think about all the time, but it was definitely in the in my head. I don't know what could happen here to stop me from winning four or five of these things. Yeah, and it's just the lessons that you need to learn, because no matter how well you think things are going, there's always something that's going to come along. My dad always had this great saying, it's like, ride the highs and ride the lows the same, but try and stay in the middle there mm. so that your emotions don't get too heavy either way. And I think it's good advice. I think,
0: uh, uh, yeah, I, every person I've spoken to on the podcast so far, it's either been all the mum or the dad that yeah. have had quite a strong influence on people that are successful.
1: So differently, my dad was, was not a really hard worker, but he instilled in me the belief that I had to work hard in a kind of a sporting way. I've got all of mum's sensibilities and mum, she has this great feel for what people are going through and what people are feeling. And mine's more heightened than hers. So I can have people walk in a room and I know something that's going on with them. Not, not you know, sort of em-
0: So empathy and...
1: Completely. Right. And I can read people in, in a really incredible way if I plug into it. Mm. And that's handy for the job, but, you know, at home, it can be really distracting and also sapping because someone can walk in the house, like the garden, and I go, bro, there's something really have a on your mind, and it's not the worms. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But I do plug into it like that, but it can be draining.
0: But its I'd prefer to have that than no empathy. I've got to
1: switch it off, though, because if I go to a party or something on a Friday night, I can be there for hours talking to people, and like just annoying the hell out of them. So
0: you're, like a de- you're the deep and yeah, meaningful guy? Yeah, like the Anthony
1: kind. Robbins guy. I'm like the Anthony Robbins.
0: That can be annoying.
1: Oh, I find it annoying. Are you apologising as you're doing I'm it? I'm sorry, it? mate, but I've yes. got to tell you this. And this is how you get out of that.
0: So if you walked into a room, yeah, normal people would be excited. because oh, yeah. it. But within 20 minutes of chatting with you, they're looking for an excuse to get away from Pretty
1: you. Pretty sure, yeah. Unless I've identified some significant trauma or a relationship they want to get out of. Or actually, you know what, that's just about everyone. Yeah.
0: Give them the confidence to give them the flick.
1: I love that. No, it is it is painful. But as I get older, I'm doing less of that because I like to go to parties and I haven't been invited to some for some time. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> we're we're going to leave Carl off the list. Yeah. Remember what happened last time?
1: Oh, it just gets a little bit over the top.
0: <laughs> Tell us yeah. about your family.
1: So I was born uh, in Brisbane. Mum and dad, my sister Tissy is older. Lisa is her name, but she got the nickname Tissy, as in top child. Is she the top child? Now, I reckon was a probably my youngest brother would be the top child. We lived there for 15 years, and like really perfect upbringing. Really, dad was pretty dominating as a person, and I was probably scared of him at times. Not through any form of physical abuse, but more you've got to you know stay on this path, otherwise there could be. Okay. Um, so, so it was more a mental, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, loved and I was never abused, but I always felt like a little bit scared of the big fella. And I think that in a way kind of inspired me on to, to be motivated in that particular way. Normal upbringing. And then when I hit high school, I was going through year 10 and I was playing first 11 cricket at a pretty young age. And I remember dad got a job offer in Cairns. And I was going to this private school in Brisbane, but Dad said, "Do you want to stay at the private school in Brisbane, where I was going really well at cricket?" And I said, "No, no, no I'm just going. I'm going to Cairns. I just huh? didn't. I hated private school. Right? Like I, I hated it. Well, um, just the
0: structure around it, the regiment.
1: Yeah, and the boater blazer. That no, type of they wanted to turn you into a cookie cutter kid, you know. And and I was just never. I hated that kind of. I hated authority that wasn't earned. Just for authority's sake, I couldn't stand it. I always hated it. So we moved to Cairns. By then I had my brother Pete, who was uh, seven years younger than me, and my brother Tom, who's ten years younger than me. Um, so we all drifted up to Cairns. And we stayed there until I finished high school, and then I went to uni and the Queensland University of Technology and did journalism. And journalism
0: was always something you... wanted. Did, when did you give up on the dream of the baggy green? Because I can remember yeah. my afternoon playing... Combined Associated Schools, yeah. cookie cutter, yeah. against the combined high schools. And they had a bloke called Mark War, his brother Steve yeah. War, and yeah. another guy called Michael Slater. They were one for 343 off their 50 overs. <laughs> Mark War got out because he was bored yeah. to let the other two. Mark Slater come in to then smash 100 wow. off about 30 balls. And then we were all rolled over for 80-odd. And I remember mm. my mate Andy Mader actually ended up making Australian School Boys. Mm. He and I getting back to the showers, putting on our black tie because we're going to a formal. That's all we could think about was going out with the mm. girls. We drove out of the car park with our peas on our car and we saw Steve Waugh, Mark Waugh and Michael Slater practising in yeah. the nets. And I went, that's the day I knew that I wasn't going to be yeah. a baggy green
1: wearer. It's interesting because like, I sort of developed late. I was in Queensland Schoolboys in year 12 and I made that from Cairns. Yeah. And I was in the same side as Jimmy Ma. Martin Love, Andrew Simons, and a host of really good, good cricketers. cricketers yeah. yeah. And I became very close to Jimmy, actually. Jimmy and I got on really well. In fact, we hit the pubs before we played New South Wales <laughs> um, the next day. Um, so we were kind of going, okay, house on the fire. Yeah. And then I, when I came back to Brisbane, I started playing first grade, in and out of first grade, second grade. And then the, the Queensland University had this terrific side who ended up winning the Shield, not the Shield, the local competition, in the same years that Queensland won the Shield. Right. So there was a very good competition, and I thought, and some of these players, Jimmy, Martin, and Andrew Simons, they all played in that Shield-winning side, as young players. So I was on the fringes, and then around about that time I became friends with Damien Martin, and I was at Damo's place on the Gold Coast, and I said, mate, when did you know you were elite? And he goes, well, I was sitting around one day with Matt Hayden, Glen McGrath and uh, who was the other? Ricky Ponting, right? So Glenn McGrath goes, yeah, yeah. goes, oh, I knew I was elite because I got 55 wickets in first grade when I was, you know, 15. Amado goes, I was playing in Perth when I was 13, first grade, you know, scored 100, da 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 goes, I scored 10,000 runs in in first grade or, or Sheffield before I made the Australian team. And Ricky Ponting goes, oh, I don't know, guys. Uh, all I know is that... Between the ages of twelve and fifteen, I didn't get out. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't. I Then to this day, I don't know whether it was true, but what it said to me was, "I'm a good cricketer, <laughs> but I'm not elite." Yeah. Uh, you know, elite. Elite has even you know got categories, of course. So even the guys like that, they were looking at Ricky Ponting, going, "He's he is a, a level above us." Yeah. And so I just thought I didn't give it up. But I just thought, also, I started getting, the days started getting longer. The fielding days when I was at uni started getting longer. The nights started getting longer. Uh, And I was really enjoying journalism. And so, for me, it was just a simple kind of decision that evolved over a three-year period. Yeah. I still played. Like, I remember going, when I started in the media, I was in Rockhampton for a year, and then I went to New Zealand for a year to work, and I played first grade over in New Zealand. And I just had a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I scored 180 in a 50 over match. Oh, nice. The Kiwis are hopeless, though. Yeah. <laughs> they were hopeless. Uh, but I still, still love my cricket and I still dream about it.
0: Oh, me too. Um, me too. I dream
1: about playing. And some, when, I, when something weird's going on in my life, I'll dream them out in the middle and I can't hit the ball. And it's all this manifesting stuff going on that I yeah. read too much into. It's like going to a party and talking to myself. <laughs>
0: I love it. I'm exactly <laughs> the same.
1: And to be honest, I miss playing it now. I mean, obviously I've got a busy life, but I'd love to play a bit of park cricket now.
0: Yeah. 10-10's a big game for blokes that have no time. Yeah, All right. over in – 10 overs bowled in 45 minutes each. It's it's all over in two Oh, outs. wow. That well, could be go. the
1: case. Maybe we could get out there together and open the batting. You got it. You got it. <laughs> so
0: I love the fact you loved your cricket. So yeah. you're at university. You're not going to be a baggy green, but you can be the best at journalism What steered you in that direction and and what made you the man you are today in those early years?
1: I think mum always said to me when I was growing up, find something you, you love doing and see if there's a job in it, right? Because she saw my dad kind of struggle. Dad was incredibly smart, but he just moved from job to job to job. He didn't really hold down a job for whatever reason. And so, as well as this work ethic, I grew up thinking I've got to find something I love. And then I wanted to be a fighter pilot after I saw Top Gun. Why would like you? Like every kid in the 80s. Oh. And then I started Maths 1 and Maths 2, and it just was an <laughs> abject failure. So I had to go, okay, that's one of the prerequisites for for going to the RAAF, is that you've got to be good at math. So okay. So that kind of, you know, The
0: baggy green gone. really fucked it for me. <laughs> Tom Cruise, <laughs> Top it. Gun gone. That's it, gone. Okay.
1: Uh, and then I remember Dad, my Dad in Cairns was doing a finance segment for Prime TV like once a week because he was in finance and he was working for the Northern Building Society. He'd go into this studio and just do two minutes down the, the barrel of finance stuff. And I remember the very first time I walked into that studio and I had the, like, and I still get it now, this chill come through, my, like my hair's go on end and, and I just thought, oh, my God, this is my home. And I looked at the cameras and, and they were sitting there idle Not even facing up, but I just thought I was transfixed by the lens. It's just very weird, you know, like an epiphany. Yeah. And and then I watched Dad do it and I thought, No, he's hopeless. Like, he's really bad. And oh. I was 15, right? And I Oh, was you like, worked out that he wasn't He yeah, was up to scratch. Was just no connection, you know. And I didn't say anything because I was still, you know, fairly scared of him. Of
0: course. <laughs> well, mate, I wasn't scared of my dad, but I wouldn't have said anything. No, no. Like, it's just, you just don't do it. No. Well, back in the day, you
1: didn't. And I, and I loved it. And I started doing work experience straight away. And all through high school, I was doing work experience. I was writing copy. And, and then when Were I at Were you good the, at that? Were you good at English? Were very you? good at English, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And always good with words and feeling words and the right kind of line for the right circumstance. And so for me, when I started university, I started doing, I remember I started doing the graveyard shift at Channel 10. You know, so here I am, 17. I'm at university with like 180 chicks. And, like, everyone's doing, you know, there's the best degree ever. Uh, I say chicks because it was, like, 180 girls and five guys. It was, like, the best course ever. Like, all the doctors, all the they all wanted to do journalism. (laughs) (laughs) And here I was doing something I love and just, you know, everyone was so good. And I was just so intent on having a good time. But I was doing Channel 10 work at night. I was doing the graveyard shift listening to scanners from 11 o'clock at night until 7 in the morning. And then going to uni... And just loving, absolutely loving life. I remember having a great time being tired, but just going, this is going to be the best thing ever. We had a little tiny group of us. So it was like 10 girls and two of us boys who were in this really small group. And everyone went on and do stuff. So everyone was doing work experience. Everyone was doing you know, all these things outside of university. So it was a great little group. Yeah. And we and just, obviously
0: talented if you all went on to I think start, careers.
1: But it starts from hard work. It starts from plugging in. It starts from seeing what you need to do. It's not – university is about learning from theory um, and a little bit of prac. But I just went, you have to learn on the job. Yeah. It's like a trade. It's whether you're in theatre or whether you're a pilot or whether it's, it's the flying miles. And so it, when I first started, that's all I had to do was like, I have to go up there. Whatever it is, I have to be in that studio. And so Channel 10 had me on for work experience plus the Graveshift, and you know, I started writing TV copy. I started going and doing interviews, and, and this is all while I was at uni. I would say to every kid out there that no matter what you want to do while you're doing a, you know, a university degree, just hammer someone until you, you're, they let you into their workplace mm. and work for free for as long as you can.
0: Spoke to Ben Fordham the other yeah. day and Ben said the same thing, yeah. you know. I remember when the grill team started, he'd come in and say, "I oh, just can I do something a week? Yeah. And I'll bring in some interesting
1: stuff. Yeah. And with a, of course. Yeah, yeah. You know,
0: and look where he's going now.
1: Well, he's doing all right, Benny, I guess. <laughs> I, said him, I-, I think I did work experience with Benny once. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> I am now. Fantastic. But, you know, he's a great story and, and I was very good friends with Benny around We started around about the same time and probably the closest in contemporaries to me. Mm. And he was a current affair and I was up in Queensland and came down to Sydney and he's a force, Mm. you know. That drives you. You know, to find contemporaries who, who are really good at what they do but also that you're friends with them and you can talk to them. You know, that's why I think it's so important to be generous with people, you know, whether they're starting out or whether they've been around, they ask you for advice. I think that's a really important part of being good at what you do. Yeah. It's because the more you listen to people, the more you explain it, the more you can pass on. It's just a good feeling. It is. And if you have a good feeling about something, then you're going to be better at what you do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. People talk about networks and stuff. Yeah. It sounds too businessy or yeah. too sort of clinical, but yeah. it's just a real like with this podcast. It's like who are the people that I've met in the last 10, 15 years yeah. that people I can have a beer with and ring up and ask advice. And you write down the list. You go, it's a really interesting group of people. Yeah, you know, guys and girls that have just gone off their ass and done stuff.
1: Yeah, I think that's it. You've got to. I, I did not want to be a person who didn't do stuff. You know, I've done the Today Show now for sixteen years. When I started, I had a terrible time. You You know, from from anyone, from Sam Chisholm, who was the CEO, you know, through the press that was just relentless, internally at nine, it was a really tough time. It nearly broke me. Really? It uh, it was as close to being broken as I've ever been from a professional point of view. You know, I remember Sam Chisholm would ring and Sam's moved on to the great TV station in the sky now. (laughs) Or... Down below. I mean, he was a tyrant. Right. He was <laughs> a man I, of his time. But he would, he would. no, I mean, no disrespect now. It's like, you know, times have moved on. And I, and I realised what he was doing, but at the time it was like every second day he'd ring me and go, what the fuck was that interview you just did with, you know, so-and-so, you're a disgrace, and uh, it like it was like, it was relentless for like six months. And then I remember I woke up one morning, and again, I'm 30. I woke up one morning and I said, I'm not going to take this anymore. And so I said, listen, if you've got something constructive to say to me, then say it. Otherwise, get me off the show. Pack me up. I'll go back to L.A. I'm a good correspondent. I'll be good at this job too, but I need time, right? And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, what I'm telling you is that I'm sick of the, the bullying. And he goes, it's not bullying. And, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, I said, I don't care what you're doing. It's full on. And if you're trying to break me, you're close to it, but no more. I'm not going to get broken. So just make a decision. And he went, oh, no, you've got a lot of ability. like just." But he had never over, said that. No, 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 overnight, like in a, in a nanosecond switched it. And I was like, what? And so I hit 31 and I've had all that kind of experience on the side as well, which I didn't think I would, but that's rebuilding a belief in yourself to a point where you know someone can't shake it no matter how much experience they've got there are certain things that I can do that I know I do well yeah. and you start there yeah right so mine was I have an ability to interview I can have a laugh I've got a weird sense of humor I mean Tom Malone who was my EP years later said you, mate you've got the weirdest sense of humor in the fucking world it's going to take them years to work out you out right because I was just I was growing up a bloke doesn't really, I don't think, mature in many ways until they get to their mid-30s anyway. So I'm doing all of that and it just was going to take time and I, and, and I thought, I will get here because I, I, I see moments. I know what to do, but it's this stuff in the middle. It's not the interviews. It's none of that. It's like the, a normal conversation with someone. Yeah. Is not normal when you're on TV. You've got these cameras. and yeah. uh, Until I get to that point, that's when I will know that I'll be moving forward. And that really didn't happen until I got to Lisa Wilkinson. And so when Lisa was on, it just it was really easy to talk about anything. For me with Lisa, that, there was a huge turning point for me when I was working with her because she gave me the confidence and the ability to talk like I do off camera, on camera. Yeah, There was a, a big enough safety net for me there for me to really learn and prosper out of. And then once I had all those ingredients... In my own you know sense of growth, I was on my way.
0: Just quickly interrupting the episode to say a very big thank you to the sponsor of this podcast and that is Shore and Partners Financial Services. Shure and Partners are an Australian investment and wealth management firm who manage over $28 billion of assets under advice. With seven offices across Australia, Shore and Partners act for and on behalf of individuals, institutions, corporates and charities. More info you can check out their website at sureandpartners.com.au that's s h a w for sure Shore and Partners Financial Services your partners in building and preserving wealth. Now let's get back into the episode. Beautiful. Yeah. From my point of view I sort of see you as like a normal person on telly. Yeah. You know, like Koshi in the morning is just not my sort of guy, right? He might be a nice person. I don't know. He rang me up once to be there. I don't a,
1: think he looks like a nice guy. Okay, he's not a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: But you know what I mean? And coming back to the Today Show, the ratings are so much better now and so forth. Do you worry about those? Do you care about um, those? How important is it for you to be loved, to be number one?
1: It was important for me many, many years ago, I think when I was 30, when – It was definitely important for me to be liked then and loved. I think where it really changed for me was I wanted to be good at it, right? And I wanted to be perceived as being good at it more than I wanted to be loved. I wanted my my fellow journalists and I wanted… You wanted respect. Yeah, yeah, complete respect from everyone. And not long after, you know, maybe two or three years after that, I knew I couldn't achieve that either because it's subjective Mm. and it's competitive, and it's all these things, again, that you can't control. And I really went back to, the, back to my roots and, and went, okay, what are you doing this for? And at the end of the day, for me, it, it came back to I want to be the voice for people. That's the most powerful thing about this job can be is if you talk for people, if you make things happen for people, if you can change someone's life, if you can do those things and start with one person and build up around that a reputation for helping people, it's pretty hard to penetrate that. Mm. So for me, that's what I did and I set about doing that one person at a time, one day at a time, one interview at a time, and I built up a bank, right? And and once you've built up a bank, the only thing that can really affect that is, you know, stuff outside, and it does. Personal life stuff comes into it. That can erode into what people, you know, people's perceptions are of you the way that that's reported can also, you know, erode that more significantly. And that was hard. I think that was a difficult time. I didn't realise why people were, you know, so off when this kind of stuff happens every day. That was naive. And I think that, you know, on reflection, I could have handled a bunch of things differently, but I also did things the way that I, in a genuine way. I, I never tried to be anyone other than myself. And so when you go through any kind of thing, like, you know, publicly, it's very hard
0: is it easier now for you to deal with it, or is it still? Uh, no, no. You hard. just go.
1: You have to. You have to compartmentalize. You know, and you've got to try and protect. And you know, there are things that I wouldn't, I won't talk about. You know, my kids. You know, what they or may not have been through. My ex-wife. I just don't think that it's anyone's business. And we want them to you know to go and have a, a you know a great life away from this kind of intrusive stuff and, and for me it's just a rule and some of you well hang on a second you ask people these questions all the time and I'm like you know people can say no if they want but for me it's a it's a greater thing to protect uh, rather than to share mm. there's a certain part of my life that I that I have to share um, there's a certain part of my life that I want to share but there's a certain part of my life that I have no desire to and won't
0: I can just read it in the newspapers anyway, yeah, or the yeah. magazines.
1: Like, why do I have
0: to ask you? I mean, I, I was literally at Coles the other day, and there was this glossy magazine yeah. told me exactly what's going on. So. I think
1: that stuff's grating. Oh, right. well, it must but, be for you. I mean, no. you've
0: broken up forty times. Yeah, you've again.
1: Had, yeah, I mean, no, this week it's not. It's not happening. Yeah, um, I think it's harder for it's harder for like jazz and anyone who's not used to it. When you grow up, you think these magazines are true, and uh, and and there is it has to be said there are members of the public who do believe it, and so you've got to try, and especially when they start running a narrative, you've got to be on top of it. So do you
0: let it go through the
1: cause mostly, I, but but I've also got lawyers. Well,
0: sometimes you, yeah, I mean sometimes you've got to go enough is enough. Nothing right?
1: stops a narrative quicker than a lawyer giving them a tingle. Well, and I hate doing that, but it's like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to, I can't. There there is a line that needs to be drawn here and it needs to be stopped. And I think also, you know, nine, especially recently, have been especially good at doing that too. I think when all this stuff happened at first, it's not a normal situation uh, and circumstance. And it went like wildfire. And I think even for the experienced people, scratching their heads going, why is this? I still don't know why it was such a big thing. Yeah. And that was... Hardest of all for me to reconcile. There was times when it was very difficult and I still get a bit upset about it because there's a shot at my wedding with my brother, Sylvia, Tim Gilbert, Dickie, and I can't remember who else was there. But it was like the red wedding in Game of Thrones. Everyone got totaled, right? Everyone got taken off the show. And I was like, that was my fault, right? And I've never had to explain myself to them because they're lovely people, but why did that happen? And how come, and, you know why is it on me that this has happened? Uh, you know, I'm just getting, I'm in love and I'm getting married and, you know, my kids are here at the wedding and and so that was hard. But, you know, when I look back on it, I see where everyone's gone and everyone's had incredible careers and it was difficult, but I'm glad that everyone's gone on and, and been okay. But I remember at the time it was, it was terribly difficult, that pressure. Of course. Yeah.
0: And the more I've got to know you, as I've got to spend some more time on the Today Show, which I love, by the way, and can't wait to be able to get back into studio and have a proper cuddle every day, rather than down in the warehouse.
1: I'm but very tactile.
0: Yeah, me too, mate. I love it. <laughs> and sometimes I go, "Can you can you not mess with Carl? Because mm. you know we've got him all sorted the way he is, and also yeah. with with Ali as well." But. Yeah. I noticed a change in the atmosphere today Mm. in the last, since you've been back with Ali compared to perhaps what it was before. Mm. You've built that again, haven't you? That feeling of fun around a, a very important show.
1: I think for me what happened was towards the end, even with Lisa towards the end, it was, we've been together 10 years. You have 10 years of wonderful broadcasting and amongst the 10 years there's also... You know, there's going to be some ups and downs, um, and so it reaches an end. However, it's not planned or planned or, or whatever goes on. You're certainly not controlling that, but you have to move on, right? And there was a lot of the time there, I think, that I was focused on, too, just trying to be the best I could be, right? And so I wasn't really focused on the team. We had a, a team of outstanding broadcasters around us. It ran itself, and you know, you're just there for the cream on top and, and bang, but and when there was an upheaval, and then there was personal stuff and then suddenly you're in a new team and then the team's changed and I realised for the first time that I needed to work using all of my experience and using all the little pieces of the puzzle that I've picked up and making something to put this team back together. And I worked incredible. you know, when I came back with Ali, I worked incredibly hard at doing that from... Alex to you know Ali and we're not talking about people who need to be constructed from zero these are amazing broadcasters and Brooke Boney Tim everyone was new mm. and so for me it was a priority to try and and help everyone be the best they Your could le- be leader. and, you, and use, be a leader. yeah well I think you know I, probably that's the right word but I prefer to think of it as you know just a bit of guidance and everyone when you start out it's you like each other and you love each other, but when you get to broadcasting, it's different. How that meshes and how that mm. goes is, is a journey. Uh, it's a terrible cliche, but it's a journey on how everyone gets to work with each other because it can be fantastic and it can also be horrific, but to be comfortable in those moments no matter what happens, and that to me has been probably the, one of the, th- the things I'm most proud of is that, that we've got this team together and we're humming. Yeah. Right? And to see that reflected in ratings... Um, Plus we've had this huge news stuff going on and to have got tone right during a very difficult year to get tone right in every market for us to be going really well in Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, even Perth and Adelaide now looking at, you know, to have people coming back to you is a sign that what you're doing is, you know, it's a reflection. You you asked before how I feel about the ratings. I don't agonise over it, but if you've got a trend, it means that you're doing something right rather than isolated pockets of ratings. And we're doing something right. Now it's the priority to keep it going. Yeah. And what happens outside of COVID? How can we make the team better? And how can we... Start
0: travelling. Yeah.
1: And and all those things. Reconnecting with people. It's an exciting time, but it's a really good point that you make. It's an incredibly proud moment for me this year. I haven't had a day off all year, a week off all year. I've had the odd day. (laughs) (laughs) But to end the year having done so well for me has been... Incredibly proud moment, and I'm proud of every one of those people, honestly. I'm mean, even behind the scenes, and you know what I'm like, I work really hard at getting the vibe right on set. Yeah, uh, even for the cameraman, our floor manager, Abby, who's been with us 15 years. If everyone's right, the vibe's right, people walk in and they'll sizzle. You know, they'll feel part of it and, and that to me is my soul if it's maybe it's not the soul job, but it's it's one of the most important jobs I do.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about you being a celebrity. Can you have a bad day? Like I've asked all celebrities this. Yeah. Can you give someone the bird in traffic? Or are you on all the time oh, because yeah. you know what will happen if someone everyone's a journo, everyone's a photographer.
1: There's no way you can, but I do. <laughs> I do, and it's no good, Gus. Because I remember, like a couple of years ago, I was I was at the airport, and there's a lot had been going on in my life. And this guy was there with a lens, and on Christmas Day, right? And I've just gone off my chops. I'm going, "What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you shaking? What are you shaking? Because you're an animal, aren't you?" And I just went. It was an all time. No, it was terrible, right? And Part of me is like wants to stand up to these people and give them what for because I'm a man, but every time you do that, you just look like a dick, and there's no one who's going to feel sorry for you out there, right? You get paid good money, you got a great job, you got a reliable income, you've got a you know, great family. It ticked a lot of so boxes. So what? You, what actually do you have? Go. Oh, you got a camera in your face at the airport. Boo hoo. Oh, you look hungover because you are. You know. Oh, they took a bad photo. Or whatever. It can be intrusive and you can, you know, to constantly have a camera on you, so much so now that I don't even worry about it. Yeah. And actually, you know what? They aren't there very much anymore. But when you're under the pump, it's like every minute of every day and that can, it produces anxiety. Of course. Tremendous anxiety. But still, you can't let that on with the public. I mean, it's like, dude, first world problems, you know? Yeah. The benefits far outweigh the negatives. Like by a country mile. Yeah. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Luckiest guy in the world. If you go outside thinking that and believing it, you're not going to have a problem with the camera.
0: Yeah. I started saying, I've just yeah. started meditation after years. My wife said, you've got to start meditating. Yeah. I said, but, like, start meditating, meditate, blah, blah, blah. All the old school stuff. And I started doing it. I did a five-week course. Yeah. I do it every morning now, 20 minutes. It's good. And you know what? I start every day with, what an opportunity. Yeah. I'm going to go and see Carl Stefanovic today. He's a yeah. mate of mine going to go and do this podcast, which I've really loved doing. Yeah. We're going to have a nice chat for an hour. Yeah, it's What nice. an opportunity. Like most people would love, they'd yeah. pay thousands of dollars to have a have a chat or a meal with you at a function. So
1: what an opportunity. But I'm the same with you. I, I was looking forward to it. This stuff's not work. You know, it still surprises me. People want to find out. But I do have things I want to say as well. Yeah. Um, and not everyone's going to be the right person to tell. You know, there's got to be trust there and yeah. because there's intimacy and, you know, in, in what I'm saying. And I really do believe that things like meditation, I've started. <laughs> What's it called? I have no idea, but you I'm enjoying the park, you trying to. When you're at the
0: park. Yeah, yeah. Tai Chi. One of my best mates, Rob's That's mum still does it. She's like 98. Energy.
1: It's an energy yeah. thing because I do have huge amounts of energy inside of me and I need to disperse it and utilise it. Okay. <laughs> Ali calls me an energy shifter. Yeah. Because right? I can shift energy. Yeah, well. I just think she's giving me shit.
0: But. No, well, Maddie Johns is similar to you in a way. He's an energy shifter too. He? he can. He could walk around the corner and MJ and I are sitting there. Yeah. And he'd come around the corner and we'd go, oh, yes, he's on today.
1: Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Or, oh, no. he's
0: really tired, so it's going to take. Till, he'll always get there. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But it it's not six o'clock. It's going to be seven
1: o'clock. It's exactly like me. Yeah, but I have to work it myself to get there for seven o'clock. Yeah, like at five thirty. There's no shaking it when you wake up at three thirty right. in the morning. Some mornings you're just not going to be and bouncing, and then otherwise, yeah, it's like so. It all depends on your sleep and the night before, and, yeah, and, and the blah 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 shit
0: that's happening in your life.
1: But I find that energy is the most important part of what I do. Right. The most important part and managing energy yeah. um, through the course of my work and also outside of that with my family mm. is the most difficult balance, but it's also the most important to get right.
0: Of course. Well, 10 years of waking up at 3.30 in the morning, I certainly know my wife said to me I was just like jet lagged and yeah.
1: I was there, but I wasn't
0: present. Yeah. She goes, the kids are talking to you. And I'm like, What? Like they were literally like dad, 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 and mum's hearing everything. Of course, plus multitasking. Yeah, you know, and I'm just sitting there like I'm in a lounge somewhere, not quite knowing what I'm doing. Just thinking, I've just got to get to work tomorrow and be on fire because I was the third wheel. Yeah, I wasn't the star. I had to step up. I yeah. hadn't won any
1: premierships and yeah, yeah, yeah. played
0: state of origin or Fort Wally Lewis. So that was my. That took an enormous toll on me.
1: But now I look at you and I go, you have unique skills, right? You have unique skills that they don't. You're a broadcaster. I find that pretty incredible because it's the facilitators of these things that make the magic happen. And if you don't have that self-worth or you didn't have that self-worth or they didn't give you the acknowledgement for that probably more accurately, then that's difficult. Mm. But I look at you now and the way that you move as a communicator and it's tremendously interesting to me. I put that up as high as it goes. No, thanks. No, genuinely. And because it's you sitting there and and you having a look, making an assessment, going with the right tone, making the right call on something, and just being yourself. I think you're much more powerful than you were a few years ago doing that, probably because you're not with all that noise. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? You had to do it yourself. Yeah. Well, thank you,
0: mate. I appreciate that.
1: That's his way of saying I don't really believe
0: no I you know what it's one of those things I'm definitely better now than I was I think the man up program for me changed my life you know yeah. five years learning about mental fitness learning about how people have struggles and yeah. trying to give them the emotional muscle to be able to mm. just talk and mm. explain so they don't worry alone mm. has made me a better father better mm. hubby better mate and yeah. you know like you say a better communicator so I feel much more relaxed about doing it now anyway
1: yeah there's stuff that I won't talk about because it there's deep pain in relation to, to certain things in my life that no one knows about. And I won't because it's a betrayal of that person's trauma and my association with it and living, you know, helping them through it and being present for it is enough. Yeah, But it still took a long time for me to, to navigate through some of those very extreme emotions. Mm. But it gave me an insight into it and it gave me a, an ability to comprehend how others go through it and how well, I can help people when I see them in trauma, like at a party come through yeah, the door. empathy. <laughs> we're back, we're back. Yeah. And I love that. And I, I think I shut it off for a while.
0: I think people that would get to know you would understand that you'd be a really good friend, mm. you know, and if they didn't know you and just saw you as a broadcast, you'd just be really good fun. Yeah. yeah. It's a real. You could be both, but yeah. if you're a friend, then you'll get the fun bit as well.
1: Yeah. Well, more so because even now – my ability to have a, a grandiose time out and about is somewhat limited yeah. through the advent of phones everywhere.
0: Yeah. <laughs> everyone's a journo, everyone's a cameraman. Well,
1: it's shocking really. You know, And I have been very disappointed with some of the stuff the public has done, like in men's toilets and stuff, like taking shots of my willy. And, mate, I'm completely oblivious to it. And, of course. And I've had a mate go, mate, that guy's getting shots of you, Willie. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? I'm not at my best, man. Could have given give me a go moment. again. I'm going to warm it up. <laughs> <laughs> mate. And then I went outside and I said, <laughs> I, went to, I went to the copper, right? There's a copper outside. I was at this place on the Goldie. And I went, Mr. Police Officer, he goes, yes, Carl, nice to see you. I said, yeah, but this guy got a, you know, a shot of my dick in the, you know. A in, dick pic. A dick pick in, in the toilet. And he goes, are you joking? What did he look like? And I turned around and it was at the Gold Coast. <laughs> so everyone had these cut-off singlets on and tats. I said, He yeah, had cut-off singlet on and tats. <laughs> And he goes, you're not helping. Yeah. <laughs> so I had this paranoia for, like, weeks that the Carl's little dick pic was going to be everywhere. And I was like, oh, my God. Did it ever come out? No, I guess he couldn't get the shot.
0: Yeah, <laughs> or there's couldn't. no way of actually saying it was you either. That's the other thing. Like yeah. If he's yeah. down there, you can't get the full body shot.
1: Well, let's hope so anyway. Let's I mean,
0: hope so. He needed a wide-angled lens, of course. Yeah. Do you ask if you're on speaker now with all your phone calls?
1: <laughs> Do you know, I think that was, again, God, that was pretty traumatic for my brother, that stuff, you know. Who, by the way, is one of the nicest
0: people on the planet.
1: Beautiful guy. And, I mean, we talk probably three or four times a day, right? Uh, we're very close. And that should have been something that was just nothing, right? Right. But it's a sign of how much under the pump we were. Who would have thought an Uber driver? Oh, come on, how unlucky can you get? Yeah, it's unlucky. <laughs> but there was that's what I'm saying. When you when you're trying to when you're trying to sandbag and you don't even know at a dam. There's stuff. There's leaks everywhere. You know, and you're not going to. It's not the main one that you see that the water coming out of that's going to break you. It's going to be the one around the corner that you can't see that that opens up. And it's like you can't control everything. You can't live your life like that. And so I don't ask him anymore because I don't want to live a life like that. Mm. I talk freely. You know, I am who I am. I'm aware. Like I've been at pubs and stuff and people have been recording conversations. I've been at people's own homes. What? And they've been recording conversations. Get a life. No, no, no. And, but it's like, you know, I'm not going to stop and say, would you mind deleting that? Or I'm going to leave now. That was fun. You know, whatever. But have a look at what this is People just do doing. stupid things when they're drunk. You know, it's like, oh, it's going to be funny for my mates or whatever. But for me, it's like I'm always aware. No matter how drunk I am, I'm always aware of stuff that's going on now. And, yes, I do temper it and I do alter it a little bit and I change it a little bit. And I do ask my brother occasionally if he's in the back of a Uber. <laughs> just, just occasionally, just occasionally. Just a bit of a laugh. You know, but it's a it's a sign of, for whatever reason, people will, will utilise access to people, you know, who have a public eye. And you just did another thing you've got to be aware of, that's all. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is there a place where you can completely relax? I just
1: take my own cabs now. Because <laughs> I don't want to be disparaging. And this is, an, I think, an accurate reflection of what happens. But most of the cabbies aren't really interested in what's going on in the back of the car there. Not... Yeah, they are. Yeah. I don't know who they're on the phone to, but it's not... They're always chatting away. <laughs> they're always chatting away. Not a lot of time left. So
0: I want to ask yeah. you uh, our Fast Five, which sort of ends our yeah. podcast... Your favourite quote or saying that you live your life? By? Um,
1: my mum's, I think, mantra in life is work hard, play hard. Yeah. Um, well, I think you've taken yeah. that on. Yeah. I've worked hard and I play hard. Yeah. And I just don't tell anyone where I'm playing. Well <laughs> Except my wife. Yes.
0: Well, she knows and that's fine. <laughs> favourite holiday destination?
1: Well, I've recently bought a place in Noosa, which I love. So it would be Queensland, but... Sunshine Beach at Noosa is, I think, and the walks around the headlands and everything is spectacular. I just love the smell of it. And Port Douglas in in Cairns. I just literally get off the plane up there and I feel home. And it's the aromas, it's the humidity, it's the courthouse hotel where the beer is the coldest in the world. It's wearing thongs, it's feeling sweaty, you know, in every part of your your, your body. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. And, yeah, it's Queensland for me. Queensland's my home state, but it's also my favourite part of the world.
0: Yeah, I like that. Favourite book? Are you a reader? Uh,
1: I used to be. Now I find it hard to read because it stimulates me, and it's the time. I can be in bed, and if I read, I'll put the, the book down, and I think this is proven medically, but... It stimulates the mind, so I, I'm all about sleep. I can sleep anywhere. I can, right. I can sleep on a, on a plane, I can sleep on a train, I can sleep on a lilo on the water, and, and I just want to get to sleep. But my favourite book, I think, I love the Anthony Keady's autobiography, Strangely, Under the Bridge, I think it was called. You know, so thinking, Chili, thinking but, books, not... No, I don't. Yeah, you know, th- there was a great book a few years ago called The Apothecary. I don't even know who wrote it, but I remember that when I was at uni, I was voracious at university. I read everything. Just wanted knowledge. Everything, and also I love the escape part of it. And but I haven't read anything for a long time. I'm much more into Netflix and space things. Oh, space! Oh, like, I, I just love. I love Star
0: Wars or Star Trek. No. Or you're talking no, actual proper space, like?
1: No, I love. I love like you know anything where someone goes on a, even that terrible movie with Brad Pitt in it, Ad Astra, like where it just goes for days and people are in space. I find it therapeutic. Yeah. And there's not much going on except, you know, slow movement. Ah. And my wife hates it. Yeah. She just goes, not another one. Whoa. There's one on Apple now called Foundation that's brilliant that I think there's uh, Dan McPherson's in, you know, the Aussie guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is fabulous. I, I love that sci-fi stuff. Yeah. That takes you into another world.
0: Gets you away for yeah. a few hours. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Favorite movie?
1: I loved the Godfather trilogy.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, I think Pacino is like my favorite actor, and Brando. I mean, they were just it was superb, and Robert De Niro. I mean, I I just love because of that whole woggy thing too. For me, was. Just like living life, yeah. You know the salami to school (laughs) in the lunchbox. You know the dead horse head. Yeah, who didn't do that? Of course,
0: (laughs) part of everyone's childhood and favourite charity. Who would you like to give ten k to?
1: For me, I've done like a lot of work with different charities, but I love Young Care and the idea of being unable to move or or having something seriously wrong with you, either mentally or physically, and to be in a place where it's all older people, would be even harder. So Young Care do this fabulous work with putting young people into young homes. I was basically there for the start of Young Care and we used to do these great little fundraisers on the side of the Story Bridge in Brizzy and raise 15 grand and now they've got homes everywhere and they're doing really well. So for me, I think every little bit helps. And if I was ever incapacitated, I would love the idea of not being in a in a facility where everyone was over 100. Yeah. Unless, of course, I am. Yeah,
0: and <laughs> <laughs> you'd been in perfectly. <laughs> be tearing it
1: up. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's uh, beautiful.
0: Yeah. So $10,000 is going to go to them on behalf of Shore and Partners. So, that's unreal. Uh, Earl and Au, who are great supporters of Gotcha for Life, yeah. have, have put this series together and they just wanted to help, you know, people that they loved and respected their charities. Yeah. You know, that was really important for him and yeah. for them to do that. So,
1: Yeah, that's lovely. One
0: question I just forgot to ask, though, was – What's the like the best interview you've done? Mm. Cuz you do your today show stuff, but you also do you're away for a little while yeah. and I missed you cuz you were doing 60 minutes stuff.
1: Yeah. I love doing all that stuff. Love doing I have to be honest, uh, big breaking news stuff is, is something that I love doing. I love being able to be away anywhere and tell Australia what's going on. Mm. As a communicator, I find I very I feel very keenly that sense of responsibility and because I'm a great Former of the right information in a compact way. And I don't mean that to be arrogant, but that's just my, I have that ability, that Mm. innate ability. And so for me to be overseas, I remember like 2011, I mean, some of these big things, Christchurch earthquakes, the tsunami in Japan, Queensland floods. I did the terror attacks in Paris and Brussels. And I've done a whole lot of that. And I feel really that that's an important part of what I do. The lighter interviews are, I adore as well. So this is why this job has become my greatest passion because it looks after all the weird elements of my personality. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's just, we have just these massive laughs on set and it can be any any particular guest. But for me, it's the stuff that happens every day on the set with everyday people that I just find, you know, the guy who stopped a robbery on the Gold Coast with his thong and, and, you know, or the Delo Lama or whatever. This guy stops this this robbery with a thong, with a plugger, and at the end of the interview, he says to me, Carlos, do you mind if we get a, get a plug-in for my club? I said, no problem. And he go, I said, what's it called? And he goes, the Mut Dangers. <laughs> oh, no. Mate, I've gone, What? You can't say that. It's like disgusting. And he goes, but Lisa didn't get it because, you know, Lisa's from Sydney and this right. was a Queensland that I got it. I'm from Sydney. <laughs> she, well, for whatever reason, Lisa didn't get it. She goes, what do you mean the muttanger? Oh, What's she a muttanger? Oh, She's double down. Does anyone know what a muttanger is? <laughs> she said muttanger about 17 times. But obviously didn't get it. That's just funny shit. And I love funny shit. I just love it, but mostly it comes from everyday fucking Aussies. Sorry of for swearing. Yeah. I swear so bad. That's the worst. I can't stop my language. You know, I was saw John Laws the other day, right? Yeah. And he goes, "Why oh, you've got terrible language?" And I sound like Sean Connery. Yes. <laughs> and I said, "No, no, I just, I just when I'm talking freely, I swear." Yeah. But I've never sworn on air.
0: It's funny, MG never ever got dumped. I got dumped many times. Yeah, Maddie every now and again. MG never. As soon as that song goes on, he'd be swearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. just had something in his head that I think he just it's knew. A luck thing too. Yeah, a bit <laughs> That's lucky. A maybe a bit <laughs> lucky. Yeah. Well, mate, it's been wonderful Pleasure. chatting to you. So thank you very much. So thanks, mate. You, mate. Good on you, buddy. Lovely. Thank you. Well, that was Karl Stefanovic, and what I loved most about that was the fact that he was so authentic. He was really open and honest, and I suppose that's the side of him that we don't see as much when he's hosting things on telly and his own TV show, so I hope you enjoyed that side of him. Coming up next on Not An Overnight Success, it's a chat with Freddie Fittler, of course, Brad Fittler, the New South Wales State of Origin coach, as well as NRL legend. And uh, this was actually a chat that we had outside at his place. He decided to eat breakfast all the way through it. It's Freddie, authentic and absolutely down to earth, and uh, I'm sure you'll love it. A big thank you to Shaw & Partners Financial Services who have generously supported this podcast and also donated $10,000 to the charity of choice of each of our guests to thank them for their time. Shaw & Partners is an Australian investment and wealth management firm who manage over $28 billion of assets under advice. With seven offices around Australia, Shaw & Partners act for and on behalf of individuals, institutions, corporates and charities. For more info, you can check out their website at shawandpartners.com.au. That's S-H-A-W for Shaw. Shaw and Partners Financial Services, your partners in
1: building and preserving wealth.